0: Welcome back to the special edition of Infinity Watchers. I'm Jared, joined as always by my best pal John. And it's been a while since we've done since we've done an episode. The infinities were the last one, right? Yeah. Yep.
1: That was the last one. It's been a it's been a spell.
0: Yeah. It's been a spell. We've we've had a lot going on, and uh, I know we wanted to do every two weeks, but uh, you know, life gets in the way. Things happen. It's also tat season for me, so it's it's, it's a really busy time. <laughs> yeah, it's almost moon night season for us, so. It is almost moonlight season for us, and for for a brief spell, it's going to be tat season and moonlight season like overlapped <laughs> on top of each other. Uh, so it'll be how uh, Fountain Winter Soldier was when we first started. Yeah. It. <laughs> it's going to be a fun time, uh, but I wanted to do something a little different uh, with this week's episode and like we did with the infinities, that was kind of our best of Marvel and the MCU for uh, 2021 recapping everything that was great in the year of the MCU. And I kind of wanted to take a step out of the, the MCU part of the multiverse and kind of jump into the movies as a, in a larger, broader sense. Um, 2021 over here was a great year for film. Uh, The streamers really took off. Um, Most of them are, uh, are basically running the best picture category at the Oscars this year. So I wanted to kind of give my thoughts and feelings on some of the things that I saw, some of which are in the MCU, some of which are not, you and I have kind of briefly touched on a handful of these kind of in our in our regular episodes. And I, I just wanted to also get my thoughts out there into like how I look at some of these movies, like, like, when we talk about the MCU, like you, you talk about re- seeing things through rose colored glasses. When we talk about nostalgic things like no way home or mm-hmm. how things fit into the MCU overall, I I always tend to take a step back and look at it in the sense of how does this work as a standalone film or movie? So you, and I mean, you and I both have, ha- have seen different things. Um, I tend to go a little more abstract mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, and international and uh indie you tend to go more mainstream blockbuster stuff and i think that's where we have a great overlap with uh with where the show kind of and how the show kind of works mm-hmm. right and at least want to get my thoughts and feelings out there on things that our audience might not have seen and maybe give some recommendations based off of that so to 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 just give a brief overall sense of how I looked at things, there. there anytime I watch any movie, there's always, there are always a handful of questions I ask myself, and this is how I always see critics responding to a work. And it's always, how did I react to it? What about it did I enjoy? What didn't I enjoy to it? How did I emotionally resonate with it? And I kind of got into that in our Infinities episode talking about Sean Chi. Uh, was I personally able to connect to something in it, and why did it resonate with me in that way? So, as I go through these, there are, um, I'm trying to hit on those basic questions. And when I step away at, at the credits or at, in the movie theater, and I'm thinking about things as I'm walking around or they sit or they hit me later, like why did something touch me in such a personal way or why didn't I resonate with it personally? Two things I, I need to mention: I did not see the Green Knight or Red Rocket. Um, I know the Green Knight got a ton of great reviews. <laughs> did you have a chance to see it? I did not. Okay. Um, so those will not be listed here. Red Rocket was definitely on my must-see of, of the year, and I didn't have the chance to, to get to it. Same with the Green Knight. Some shout-outs I wanted to give: uh, these are recommendations that I don't have a lot of time to get into. Uh, the first one is Spider-Man: No Way Home. Uh, you. you if you're listening to this podcast, we spent two and a half hours talking about it back in December. If you want to know our thoughts and feelings on that, go listen to that episode. Um, I believe it's still in theaters or it's coming to it's coming to Blu-ray soon, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. Within the next few weeks, I would think.
0: Yeah, probably within the next few weeks. Um, so, I mean, go check it out if you're um if you're an MCU fan or a Spider-Man fan. Uh, Next up is Kane Richard. It's on HBO Max. Great Will Smith performance. Um, Highly recommend it to any sports fans or even any um, dad movie fans, I guess you could say. Uh, And then the last one is Judas and the Black Messiah on HBO Max. Uh, I think this one went pretty overlooked by general audiences. Last one I kind of wanted to give a shout out to and go a little bit more in depth on is Drive My Car. Um, this one, I can't recommend to everybody. <laughs> uh, it's directed by Rizuki Hamaguchi. I'm sorry for any mispronunciations. Uh, this is a three hour Japanese film about grief and an international production of Anton Chekhov's Uncle Vanya. If you really want to challenge yourself, uh, it's coming to HBO Max. We're recording this March 2nd. It, it dropped on the service today. I had the chance to just see it in the theater. It, it kept me captivated for three hours. If you're going to watch it, turn your phone off, turn the lights off, and let it just em- wash over you. Um, I, I wanted to mention this because I've been trying to watch things that are more international and aren't in English. Um, so, I mean, another round, which was the one that starred uh, Mads Mikkelsen last year. It was from Denmark. It was one of my favorites of the year. So I can't I, I I I always go back to this quote from Bon Junho um at the Oscars when Parasite won and then and that's if you can overcome that one inch barrier of subtitles, you'll open yourself up to a whole new world. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's so much good stuff out there if you can just overcome reading subtitles for in this case, three hours. But uh, this one, it might be one of my favorites, but I can't recommend it to everybody. Um, all right. Some honorable mentions. Um, first up is Promising Young Woman. It's on HBO Max, written and directed by Emerald Fennell. Uh, the Carey Mulligan performance uh, was probably my favorite of the 2020-2021 award season. Um and it's basically a revenge and crime drama scene through the eyes of an elder millennial. Uh, there's a ton of two thousands pop hits. Uh, I listened to Paris Hilton on repeat for a couple days after this, <laughs> after I saw this, um, Bo Burnham is probably one of the best casted members of this Well, cast of this movie. Um, hmm,
1: I didn't realize there it, is, isn't there's an
0: element to his character. Oh Yeah it's it he's purposely cast it for the reasons you might think and it, it like lulls you into the sense of of safety and then just hits you over the head with a, a bombshell that makes you question pretty much everything you know about mm. his character yeah i've um, liked um
1: i've liked carrie mulligan since i the first time i saw her was in the episode of doctor who that she was in <laughs> back in like okay mid 2000s uh was that the
0: crying angels one yeah yeah Blink. okay okay mm-hmm. Weeping, yeah, weeping that's angels. It. Weeping angels. Yeah, you show, I think you showed it to me in college or, to try and get me <clears> into <throat> Doctor. Yeah, but. That,
1: that sounds about right. That's like one of the episodes you would probably show somebody <laughs> to try to get them in.
0: Um, but yeah, I'm glad to see that. Uh, I was happy to see her uh, her run in uh, in the Oscars award race award season last year. Um, and easily one that character I can't think of her name right now, but in the wrong hands, to be overly cartoonish or overly serious, and she she walks a very fine line and balances it extremely well. <laughs> and I I honestly just was astounded that it even exists, her, that performance even exists. Yeah, I'd seen her. Uh, next up bring is bring it back to the oh, MCU sorry, for I'd, a second. I'd yeah. seen
1: her. Yeah. name tossed around for uh, Sioux Storm at some point.
0: I've seen that, too. I'm not opposed to it. Mm-hmm. Really not opposed to it. Uh, next up is Sound of Metal. This is on Amazon Prime uh, written by Darius Marder, uh, Abraham Marder and Derek Cianfrance, France and directed by Darius Martyr, who was the writer of The Place Beyond the Pines. This was personally my favorite viewing experience of the 20th. 21 20 or 2021 award season. I I still can't get used to that. Um, So the whole idea behind this movie is that the drummer of a hardcore metal band starts to lose his hearing literally overnight. Um, It was designed with, with the sense that you're supposed to watch it with subtitles on because it's supposed to give you the, the point of view of hard of hearing or deaf individual watching movies in general right yeah but i had the i watched it without subtitles and it actually made me empathize with uh ruben rizal meds Riz meds that's the guy from Venom. um it is what <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like there's a theme here <laughs> um uh it it really puts you in his point of view and makes you empathize with this character a lot more, the struggles he's going through. So from back from that um, award season, I definitely recommend checking out those two heading into 2021. uh, I have don't look up, which is on Netflix written and directed by Adam McKay. This was one of the oddest theater experiences I've had. It was playing at the Hollywood up the street from me. And I was one of five people in the theater uh, and maybe, One of them, one of the only three of us having fun with it. I don't know if I was supposed to have fun with it. You've seen this, haven't you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think at its base level, it's best enjoyed as just a comedy. Right. Like for me, this one fell flat anytime they tried to be too grandstandy about the message and too in your face about it. Like Uh because (laughs) they. It is just a giant metaphor for climate change. And I think they kind of rewrote some of it to be a metaphor for COVID at the same time. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. And I I liked it best when I was just kind of like laughing at it as a comedy. Right. Then like thinking about the right socio-political aspects of it and the commentary (laughs) it's trying to make. Because it's so heavy handed sometimes. (laughs) It is.
0: It is. It but is, and I, I,
1: think I think this. I think you just sit back and enjoy the performances in it because there are some really great ones. I mean, Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence. Oh my god,
0: I love I love the running gad of Jennifer Lawrence trying to figure out about the the four star general. Yeah, <laughs> and she just keeps bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, and then the the constant one of, of the badges over the heads. Um, the that that speech that DiCaprio gives in in the news, uh, in the news studio. I was listening to an interview with Adam McCain. He said that was all impromptu. Like, like DiCaprio had the idea of giving this long, this larger-than-life grandiose speech, and McCain kept going, no, we're, we don't want to do that. It, like, it, It's not going to work. We really anyway. don't have a way of doing it. He Well, then he thought, well, my editor has this running gag of just cutting off scenes, like mid-scene, so it would be great if we... If we had him do it and then just smash cut to him in a bat like with a bag over his <laughs> oh, head. Oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> just exactly uh-uh. what they did. And that was probably that was probably the biggest laugh that uh, that theater had. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I actually felt sick walking out of the theater <laughs> afterward um, because of how heavy handed the messaging mm-hmm. is. Uh, the Twitter discourse around this one's a little weird, too, because it's turning into uh basically a parody of itself
1: yeah i mean people were just unrealistically like i don't know if unrealistically is the right word but they're unreasonably harsh i think against it um yeah i mean i thought it was a good movie i don't think it was worth like an yeah. oscar nomination that it got um at all but at the same well, time part I, of that's I enjoyed also it. it was a funny movie good acting yeah. performances
0: well, part of that's also that the Academy loves Adam McKay. I yeah. mean, the Bid Short and Vice were both nominated mm-hmm. multiple times in multiple categories. Um, and they se- he seems to be a mouthpiece for a lot of uh, things that the Academy members agree with. Next up, I have House of Gucci. Uh, this is just an absolute train wreck, but... I still think you should check it out. It's uh, written by Betty Johnston and Roberto Bediveña and directed by Ridley Scott. Absolutely had a blast with this one. I saw this with my with my family. Uh, not sure if you should see it with the kids. That that's a li- it's a little weird in that sense. Uh, there was there was one very gratuitous scene in particular that made me shout, "Oh my god!" This is where we're going with this, <laughs> and it's just so grotesquely over the top. Um, everybody, everybody in this is at an absolute 15 out of 10. Jared Leto is straight up doing Luigi. That's the guy from, from Mario Brothers. <laughs> uh, and, uh, Adam Hold Driver on, okay, is wait. like,
1: he, Just let's back up to Jared Leto's doing Luigi for a second. I just want to like sit here and explore that for a few minutes. Please
0: elaborate. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So it, uh, I, 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 do. Do you want me to try and do an impression? Because I could really try if you want me to. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. You don't know if you want me to try oh, and do a Luigi impression. You don't know if you want me to try and do a caricature of a Italian. I, like that. I'm not exaggerating. I am not exaggerating. When yeah, that is what it is. I don't like to acknowledge the Razzies. He was nominated for a Razzie for it. I'm not shocked. I'm leaving it at that. But is, like is
1: Jared Leto a good or bad actor?
0: That ah uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Like I I as soon as I saw this, I went and watched critics reviews and they all said, I don't know if this is a good performance <laughs> or not. <laughs> Because every even Lady Gaga was like so she wasn't even over the top, like she fit perfectly with what she was doing. Her her award campaign on this has been absolutely insane. But like her saying she never met Jared Leto, and Jared Leto saying she never met Lady Gaga was something else. Uh, the fact that uh, I can't remember her was it Petruzio? I can't remember her character's name. These are all based off of real people. Mm-hmm. Who actually hurt people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't think it was meant to be so I don't it wasn't meant to be funny. Like the whole thing is shot in very in very dimly lit sets. And I'm surprised it didn't didn't get a best costume nomination, considering that they had access to the Gucci wardrobe and they wore Gucci outfits in it. Like it it just amazes me how something so like gorgeous as a Gucci product looks so bland. Hmm. I, I don't understand it. Um uh, shout outs here to Adam Driver, Al Pacino. I don't understand what the hell Jeremy Irons is doing in it. He's just being Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even try and put on an Italian accent. It's 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 a wild ride. Have a few drinks with your family, maybe with your older family members, and put it on around Thanksgiving. You'll have fun. Speaking of wild times, Malignant uh, on HBO Max, uh, written by James Wan, Ingrid Bisou, and uh, Taylor Cooper. Again, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing any of these names. Uh, And directed by James Wan. This was a fun midnight horror movie that is now going into my permanent Halloween rotation. Um, the way James Wan descri- has described it is, quote, we were trying to make something that you would find on the back of a late 80s to mid 90s VHS movie or VHS rental rack. And at a point, I didn't believe that until a major twist happened and it just went absolute balls out insane. Like the Punisher Warzone actually looked kind of tame in, in some in some aspects compared to what they pull off in this. I, I don't want to say much. What's that? I said, oh geez. Yeah, i I don't want to say too much because I think having the twist out there ruins the experience. Um, and I think it, they've, I think Juan and uh, uh, Bisu and Cooper created a really interesting new uh, new horror figure. Um, yeah. So i I think you had said that when we talked about this off air that like you had read the synopsis for this one. <laughs> wikipedia maybe i did was, was, am i, I did. right in remembering that because <laughs> i remember talking, yeah, saying there's did. a major twist and you even said like i didn't even see that coming <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's a, it's a wild time um speaking of wild times uh luca on disney plus <laughs> uh d- written by enrico casarosa jesse andrews and simon stevenson and directed by enrico casarosa uh this was this year's disney and pixar entry it, it, have, have you seen this yet
1: yeah i watched it for the first time a few weeks ago actually what do you think of it i really liked it i mean it's not yeah. it's not the like best pixar movie um no. or you know in the top 10 or anything like that but it's it's enjoyable very colorful i enjoyed the the style of it i thought it was a little Unique for Pixar, you know they usually don't focus mm-hmm. on human characters outside of like The Incredibles. Um, so it was right. it was a cool, uh well, human quote unquote, I guess.
0: <laughs> right, um,
1: but yeah, it had good uh, good message, and I, I enjoyed um, enjoyed the characters and kind of the the tension of you know hiding amongst humans. You <laughs> know, it was kind of a fun uh, fun concept.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's something that's not really explored, and, and animation it's this rap as being like the children's medium and i feel like some disney and pixar tends to play the audiences or families quite a bit as their main audience yeah and i feel like a i feel like a uh, a message like that isn't really expressed that often or if it is it's very oversimplified right right but i feel like here at least with um with the father character it's a, it show not to say it shows how complicated something like that can be but like how acceptance takes time right Right. Mm -hmm. at least for like somebody older like that Mm -hmm. so and especially like the stuff that he's had to deal with in his life right yeah so like and even the the parents from under the water like they've got to learn to accept what it's like Like it 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 it, it, it's a little more complicated than it is on the surface
1: yeah it's about people changing
0: Mm -hmm. exactly this this is a fun we my my family and i did like an italian night with this and uh it's a fun family pasta oh nice yeah yeah, so it, it, it's a good time to to make uh, spaghetti with your kids and watch <laughs> something. It's based out of Italy, yep. right? So we're going from Italy to Colombia on this next one. I had this in my top ten, and I had to. I right before we started recording this, I had to change it to something else. Oh, really? Else. And yeah, um, th- I had this at number four, and something else. Thinking about it more, knocked this off my top ten altogether. Um, so this is Encanto. It's on Disney Plus. Written and directed by uh, Therese Castro Smith, Jared Bush, and Byron Howard. Uh, I absolutely adored this movie. Yeah, it was like, really good. It was so mm-hmm. good. And like, what what are your thoughts? Like, I guess since we're on kind of the Disney and Disney and Disney Pixar stuff, as as a relatively new father, like. I'm just curious, like what age do you like start showing stuff like this to your kids? Like, obviously you're not showing malignant to your, to your kids before this, like, Oh,
1: that was last month. It was, uh,
0: Malignant this month
1: was Luca. So, um, (laughs) okay. No, but I mean, I, I, my daughter has seen Luca and Encanto and she's, you know, about a year and a half now. So, um, yeah, yeah, we don't give her a ton of screen time, but, um, when she does, she usually likes the colorful, um, colorful disney films like this especially in kanto because of the music she loves the music um and i love the music right. it's good and it hasn't gotten old yet even though we've watched it a number of times
0: <laughs> um <laughs> you you repeat you playing the soundtrack in the background all day if yet it, or if it's or not playing not- in the
1: background it's in my head because <laughs> it's so catchy <laughs> but yeah this is a good thanks, one I, i've seen Limit i've well. seen people like make the comparison that that Encanto is pretty much an X-Men film. It kind of is. <laughs> and Abuelo Professor X.
0: It pretty much is. Yeah. <laughs> but like, so, okay, I was just curious because like as as your daughter's only one and a half, like obviously you're not going to give her like an iPad to watch all day. But like, mm-hmm. I, I was just curious. Um especially in in a world where like literally everything is on screens now it's it's even hard for me to sit down and read a book right Mm -hmm. so but even when we read comments for our previews it's on my phone or on an ipad right so like i was just curious in that regard um Mm -hmm. but yeah like like you were saying how colorful and vibrant this is like like you just i've never been to columbia but you just feel columbia in this Mm -hmm. um This was also, at least the way I saw it, this was one of the few Disney animations that wasn't Pixar that, like, is about family drama and doesn't involve, like, a, um, like, an external force that that causes that, like, everything is created internally. Mm -hmm. Um, It explores how family secrets and family trauma can actually hurt families. For, like, generations. Yeah, like,
1: generational For
0: generations, Right. Right. Um, keeping things from the next generation and keeping things from children like can actually hurt them mm-hmm. um, from not understanding um, what is going on around them. And also like the idea of learning to accept yourself for your own talents and like not for what not be jealous of what others have. I, I know that's a little corny, but I mean, it's it's a pretty good message to to have. Right. Like mm-hmm. not to not not necessarily to be jealous not not to be jealous of others, but to like be happy for what you have because the others, if you're jealous of other people, they might have their own problems that are caused by what by that right. Mm-hmm. So, like I I don't blame the Abuela character for doing what she did. She, everybody who was acting in their own best interests ended up hurting the family in the end and. I mean, overall, just I, I just I just absolutely adored. This. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, also, I want to give, give a shout out to, to Logan Erdner. I don't think he listens listens to this, but um, I went to high school with him, graduated South Park class of 2013. Uh, this was his first uh, major credit uh, He's a look development artist at Disney now. Oh, nice. So that's cool. Yeah. So shout, yeah. So shout out to Logan. <clears throat> um, next up. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure you're going to show this to to your child right away. It's The Last Duel, <laughs> uh, written by Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Nicole Hollisenter, directed by Rid- Ridley Strides. <laughs> 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 um, had the chance to see us in theaters when the opening weekend. I don't regret it at all. Um, they, this would be the prime example of, quote, they don't make them like they used to. Um, 20 years ago, this probably would have been a best picture contender and this was one of the first things i saw in the theater that wasn't marvel in the middle of the, like this might have been the first thing i saw in the pandemic that was new so there's that other than shang chi but that was marvel related and black widow regardless um so it felt good to actually feel, get something fresh and new and original and was made for adults and wasn't made uh, most movies nowadays are made to, made to target um typically the the uh standard is 17 year olds i, I can't see any 17 year olds sitting through this um it's a rosherman structure telling a story from three different perspectives and each time the story becomes more and more graphic uh, i I'm gonna throw a trigger warning out there right now. I mean, this is about a rape that happened back in the 1400s. Is it a true story? And it te- yeah. Oh. It's yeah. So yeah. So what? It, what? It, I, I'm not going to, going to go into the yeah. full details, but at one point in like medieval France, duels were outlawed altogether. And this was the. I mean, the title says it for itself. It was the last duel, but. It is over, it's over an individual who was accused of raping another individual's wife at the time. Mm. So, there was a, um, it was allowed in this one instance, pretty much. Um, it, but it's a basically a post-Me Too era story about consent and a woman's place in society. I mean, hell, the end duel is, about, is between two men who are fighting over how true the story is. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's kind of self aware <laughs> in that regard. This is it's it, it's weird. Um, this is why I don't like to. This is why I don't like to acknowledge the Razzies. Ben Affleck was nominated for a Razzie for this. He is playing into his strengths in this. Uh-huh. Like w- when you watch it, he's kind of a clown, and like he knows it. Like he's basically like the the lord of this land of the land that these these people live on. But he's supposed to be this. like Uh, this bloated figure and like his excessive figure, basically what Ben Affleck can be or was at one point Uh in his career. So he's just playing to his strengths. The editing in this is absolutely phenomenal because it's told from three different perspectives. There are little choices here and there that are made that drastically change the outcome of the story. When you see it from different perspectives, like even just something like another character kissing another character Mm -hmm. On, on the cheek and as like a, as like a gesture of good faith from one perspective it's innocent from the other. It's a little strange. And the third one, like it's outright creepy. Like yeah, they don't want to be that right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's it, I highly recommend this if you have a night in from the kids or if you want to check something out, I understand why people might not want to watch this one. It does get very graphic and very, um, they don't shy away from much. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. I'll say that it was kind of uncomfortable, but sitting with it longer, I had it in my top 10. I I might go back in there at some point, but there's some other stuff that like that kind of outweighed it. Yeah. So next up is Dune. Uh, it's on HBO Max. I think it's going back into theaters written by uh, John Spites, Denny Villeneuve and Eric Roth directed by Denny Villeneuve. Did you have a chance to see this? Oh, no,
1: I, I didn't. I regret it.
0: Okay. I won't stay too long on this one. Then Uh, extremely well filmed. Uh, Dune was always considered unfilmable by any director standards. There were multiple people on and off this project for years. Nobody wanted to touch it. Really wanted to put this in the top 10. My theater experience was a little weird being that it's almost three hours and my bladder almost exploded (laughs) with 20 minutes left to go. (laughs) Um And it's also one of – it's also – it's not advertised this way, but it's part one. As soon as as the title comes up, it's Dune part one. Um, So it's not the entire story. Uh, It really builds out this world well, and I really wanted to spend a lot more time here on Arrakis. I always considered Dune to be like the capital N nerds, like – realm right yeah. <laughs> like like only the hardcore nerds were into this stuff but when my one pal from college and i were going to see the last duel uh, the bartender that we were there that we were paying goes oh are you guys going to see dune like i never thought i would hear like somebody who's not into this stuff go oh you're going to see dune aren't you yeah and we weren't but like i that just, that blew my mind and we just said yeah because we thought it'd be easier to say yeah we're going to see dune than. The, the weird night movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, but I'm really excited to see what part two has in store. Um, I think Villeneuve wants to do two or three to make it a trilogy, but personally he was snubbed for best director, but at the same time that, that category is stacked this year. Um, next up, I, we have summer of soul or when, when the revolution could not be televised. This is on Hulu directed by quest love. <laughs> um, this was a documentary about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. So it was the same summer as Woodstock 69. Uh, I want to give another shout out to uh, Peace, Love & Rage, Woodstock 99 on this. I, I did a kind of a mid-dive on Woodstock in general in 2021. I, I've always found it fascinating, and I've come to realize that we've been sold nostalgia our entire lives yeah, of for what sure. Woodstock really was. Um, like the original, there were in 1969, there really were riots. There were some people that died. There were food shortages, protests, and almost a mass electrocution across half the field. Like people, a lot of people almost died at the original Woodstock. Um, and I've come to realize that between sit, Woodstock 69 and then, um, peace, love and rage, Woodstock 99 on HBO match. It's, it's, um, in the Rainer's music Bot series, how, that selling that nostalgia can be dangerous, especially when it's hmm. selling that nostalgia to a generation that really has nothing to fight against. At least the 69 generation had Vietnam and, uh, and the civil rights movement. Right. But yep. so <clears throat> summer of soul, like I just said, is about the 1969 Harlem cultural festival. Had, had you ever heard of this before?
1: No, I haven't actually.
0: Okay. So that that's kind of what I was hoping you'd say, because I hadn't heard of this either. And like I mentioned, it takes place during the same summer of Woodstock '99 69. We have been sold on on Woodstock 69 so much that it kind of overshadowed something like uh-huh. this. And this was a significant, or the Harlem Cultural Festival was an, an entire summer lawn program in Harlem that brought in the Fifth Dimension, Sign the Family Stone, Young Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Mavis Staples, BB King, all to perform in Harlem. Wow. Oh. Like, I I never thought, you'd never think you'd see a lineup like that if you're a soul fan or a a funk fan or into um, generally black music, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It uses stock footage that's been hidden away for 60 years that shows a lot of these artists. Um, The background of the footage being stored away is actually up for debate, um, but there's a narrative that's been around this that it's the idea of suppressing black voices and i mean we've seen that come up time and time again in the past two years since since the um since george floyd mm-hmm. right and i think it i mean it it all that story only adds to the idea more even if it's up for debate um the correct credit was given in the credits of the movie and people are still trying to detract from right <laughs> the narrative around it yeah, right exactly um I think one of my favorite aspects of this, though, is that it takes footage of people who were actually at the festival. It, it, the, the documentary, a lot of the documentary is them sitting there watching the footage yeah. and reacting to it in real time. Going, oh, my God, I do remember this. Like, I, I remember one guy saying, like, I tried to ask my neighbors, like, do you remember when, like, Stevie Wonder and Mavis and maybe came, came to play in Harlem and nobody could remember? Wow. Like, nobody believed me. Yes. Yeah. and he said and a few people have said like you've given me my memories back like i i know i'm not crazy for remembering that this happened that's awesome um one of my favorite aspects is that it does show some of the events of the 60s that are typically generally whitewashed um but it's shown from the perspectives of harlem at the time the biggest one that they get into is the moon landing and like it shows news reporters going around asking residents and individuals at the festival mm-hmm. like what are your thoughts on it and they all say like well why do they have money to send people to the moon but not put money into our neighborhood right like we're like we're putting this festival on as it's kind of a fundraiser and a celebration at the same time yeah i mean they they got the black panthers to come do security for it because wow. they, didn't, they couldn't trust the police to come in yeah. and do it, right so I, I highly recommend this documentary to anybody out there, especially if you're a music fan. Um, if I if you like any of the artists I listed, I definitely recommend checking this out. <clears throat> Speaking of music fans, The Beatles get back on Disney Plus. Did you watch any of this? No, I never have the chance to. Okay, <laughs> this this was a fun time. Um, it's directed by Peter Jackson. Um, the 1969 footage that they use was directed by Michael Lindsay hogg This is literally the best fly on the wall experience I've ever had. It's literally eight hours of restored Beatles footage of them in recording. Let it be. And it culminates in the rooftop concert in full, the full 45 minute footage is, is shown. And I, I never thought like watching people sit in a, in a room and, have conversations for eight hours would be cool. Mm-hmm. That's literally all it is. Especially, uh, I mean, it's the Beatles we're talking about here too. It's like the musical geniuses of the '60s, right. and even like up to today, right? Um, it, it's pretty much hanging out with them for eight hours. There, there was. I believe 60 hours of footage and 120 hours of audio recording that needed to be remastered and engineered to get this condensed down to eight. I've seen in interviews with Jackson that he wanted to do like a 12 hour cut of this and they kept like, he had like a six hour cut and then COVID happened and they couldn't release it. So then like over the time when they would go back and revisit the footage, they just kept adding stuff yeah. in. <laughs> and, and I mean, who better to, to edit down one hundred and twenty hour, one hundred and eighty hours of um, video and audio than the guy who doesn't know how to cut down stuff, right? Yep. How how many times has Lord of the Rings been re-released with additional footage? But this was this was a really fun time. Um, it it, re- it shows the creative process in real time. Um, well, I think one of the wildest moments is like when when Paul is like writing. Like Maxwell Silverhammer. This this was done in nineteen in like winter of nineteen sixty-nine. Abbey Road wasn't recorded until fall of nineteen sixty-nine. So like he's working out something like Maxwell Silverhammer or George Harrison's yeah. like trying to learn Here Comes the Sun. And like from being around for fifty years, yeah. sixty years, like we all know those songs by heart. Yeah. And like like the song Get Back itself was originally like a it was a protest song. And then like you hear you just hear uh, Paul like playing the riff on for a good five minutes, trying to figure out what the lyrics are, and he keeps throwing out names of like Jojo was a man from, and he just kept throwing out places. Yeah. but like like everybody knows that everybody knows it's two, it's Tucson, and like I kept uh-huh. shouting it <laughs> like that's what it uh-huh. is, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I, and I, 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 it's it's just it's a ton of fun, um. Even if you, even if like you visit visit it for like a half an hour, come back to it a day later and like just watching yeah. it shots, it's good. It's great. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Um, yeah, I I also had the chance um, at the end of January to see this in IMAX. There was a uh, like a, a special anniversary re- release of the rooftop concert in IMAX, and it was uh, it was like watching. A concert that happened three weeks ago. I, I genuinely couldn't believe it was filmed fifty three years ago. That's amazing. It, it's incredible. I can't, I can't believe it. it this exists. Uh, and I think what's genuinely the most shocking thing about any of this is that these guys were twenty five to seven to twenty seven years old <laughs> when they were at their peak. Let that sink in. Oh boy. Ah.
1: <laughs> uh. <laughs> We're gonna, to We're gonna take a break. I'm gonna take this water down and swap it out for a beer. <laughs> that's
0: fine. <laughs> like, like uh one my my friend I went to the IMATS experience with is like one of my good friends from growing up, and he's like, I'm 27 and I can't believe. I mean, he he's he's a musician by trade, and he's like, I I I still don't I I don't believe it. <sighs> like. And it, it also humanizes the four of them. Like, we always put the Beatles up on, like, this godlike podium, right? And to say, like, they're they're the best musicians ever. But, like, you you see their humanity. Like, you can uh, – we've always – at least those that have followed the narrative have always been told that, like, this was where Paul and John started to fall apart. And, like, there was infighting between all of them. Yeah and yoko is the one that broke up the band literally yoko's just sits on the floor for the entire thing there are a few <laughs> sessions where she's like screaming into the mic as part of a jam session that's it though <laughs> yeah but <laughs> she's just sitting there writing poetry and doing art like in the middle of the uh-huh. like there's nothing like the best reaction i saw after this aired was like we all owe yoko an apology so John comes off as just this goofball. He just acts like a regular like marching band kid. <laughs> um and it's it's just bizarre to me that these guys act acted like normal people. Yeah, it's, you kind of have it's like it's a, a, a fun time.
1: They're almost like gods in your eyes after so long and, and right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so those were all honorable mentions. Um now we're gonna get into the top ten. I didn't want to spend too long on those, still um just have a few uh Words to say about these as well. Uh, number 10 is Tit Tit Boom. Uh, this is on Netflix, uh, written by Steven Levinson, based on the musical boy Jonathan Larson, directed by Manuel Miranda uh, in his directorial debut. Uh, personally, as someone who is a few years away from turning 30, this really resonated with me and, and hit me in a really deep place, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I just talked about how the Beatles were only 25, to 27 when they we're at their peak and like seeing that and then seeing this and thinking, like, have you really lived up to your potential before you became an adult, quote unquote, became an adult, uh, really, really hit me hard. <laughs> um, yeah, the idea and possibility of selling out and the idea of, um, closing off the rest of the world to, to, to yourself in pursuit of a goal that you have um i'm still in the process of getting my cpa i'm almost at the end i'm like i'm like right there at the end and like for the past five years like that's been it's been a one-track mind of need to get this done and i've not to say i've missed out on opportunities but it's like or i've lost relationships but like i've missed out on some stuff because of the studying, because of the work because of Mm -hmm. everything and i feel like i not to say I could have been happier, but I feel like some better choices could have been made so that pain was limited, right? <clears throat> so you you saw this, didn't you? Yeah,
1: yeah, I really love this.
0: <clears throat> I like, and also I love the fact that we are in the Garfield Hassan's. This like 2021 was the year of Andrew Garfield. He had mainstreamed the eyes of Tammy Faye, tit tit boom, and then obviously Spider Man No Way Home. And I'm excited to see where he goes next.
1: Yeah, and I just saw a trailer for a new series that's coming out this year um, with him in like a true crime drama. Oh, really? Yeah, it's on uh, FX. Under the Banner of Heaven, I think it's called.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. good stuff. I, I, I didn't know about that, but I mean, this is a musical about writing a musical, and it, it gets weirdly meta in some senses. Um, I think one of the biggest problems with it, though, is the... Um, is just the structure. Uh, the structure of the show is like a one man show, but the movie intercuts the one man show yeah. with the events, and it, it's a, it's a little confusing. Yeah. It takes a while to get used to, but once you get used to it, like it, it really blends together. Then,
1: yeah, I think you you have to like put yourself in the frame of reference of like you're watching a musical that's framed as a one man show intercut mm-hmm. with the the person putting on the one night one one night show almost mixed up one One man show show, the person putting on the one man show telling a story of his past failed ventures it's like right (laughs) there's a very like inception (laughs) like
0: element yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's a lot going there the editing is is not it's not choppy but it it takes him getting used to Mm um and also, you got to keep in mind that it's all framed within the opening night of Rent. <laughs> like, it opens, oh, it true. literally opens and closes with a tribute to Jonathan Larson, right. who died literally the night before Rent either went into preview or debuted on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's like a frame within a frame within a frame. Yeah, that it. It's a lot. There's a lot going on yep. there. Um, but. Speaking of musical, uh, this one's a little more straightforward. Um, This is West Side Story. Uh, It's coming to Disney Plus this week. Uh, Well, we're recording this March 2nd. But um, it really got shut out of the box office. And I highly, 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 highly recommend if you have the chance to watch this. Uh, It's written by Tony Kushner based on the stage play by Arthur Lorenz and directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, I bought the vinyl for this as soon as I had the chance. I absolutely love this soundtrack, this version of it. This isn't just a straight-up remake of West Side Story, which was the 1961-1962 uh, Best Picture winner. Um, it, this is more of a of an update to it. Uh, it rearranges the soundtrack a lot. Um, they recast. No, I shouldn't say recast. They correctly cast uh race and skin tone (laughs) the original is known for its brown face it doesn't look good i went went back and rewatched it right before i went to see this version the original holds up pretty well overall except for that one aspect Mm -hmm. and it stands out like a sore thumb yeah um and one i think one of the biggest updates i love to this is the fact that in 1961 having a camera that moves three-dimensionally in and out of or on a um On a Z and Y axis doesn't, and X axis doesn't really exist at that point, or at least in a musical sense, it didn't happen that often. But now Spielberg can like move the camera in and out of crowds and get these wide shots and pan down into crowds. And it really adds a new dimension to this story. It also um, allows the point of view of both the Jets and the Sharks to be a lot more nuanced. Uh, It's set during the start of the construction of Lincoln Center. Um, The original 1961 version had to have construction halted of the Lincoln Center so that on-site locations in New York City could be used for filming. This actually, like, they show Lincoln Center being built. Mm -hmm. And it it gives you a a sense of, like, this thing is coming in to take over this neighborhood. And these two gangs are fighting over a piece of territory that's not going to be here anymore in the next uh 20 years interesting so it really adds to the sense of gentrification yeah as well as changes the states a little bit in um to both sides right mm-hmm. yeah that's really all i have to say about west side story absolutely loved it I, I highly recommend this to anybody uh next up is last night in soho right now i think the only place you can get it is to it on, on amazon prime uh, this was written by Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson Carnes, directed by Edgar Wright. Uh, absolutely incredible soundtrack and uh, an absolute jaw-dropping production design. I actually felt like I was in ni- 1960s England at one point. Uh, There's a twist to the ending that I saw and called was coming, and it, it kind of changes how I feel about the rest of the movie overall, but uh, the the production design in this alone made my jaw drop. Um there are some mirror shots in this that I, I, it broke my brain trying to figure out how they put, how they pulled these off. Yeah. Um, or how they choreographed some of these shots. Um, did you, did you, you didn't have a chance to see this No, yet. I
1: didn't. I really want to though.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, and it does ca- kind of capture how dangerous nostalgia can be when it's viewed through rose colored glasses. um, Thomas A. McKenzie's Eloise is obsessed with the 60s, but I uh, I mean the whole idea the whole premise of the movie is that she every night she wakes up in like this dream nineteen sixties world and this is how she envisions it. But once she actually like goes through it and she sees a lot of the problems that existed then right, are still somewhat persistent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's kind of a, uh, there's kind of a theme I'm going with here through a lot of these when it comes to nostalgia. <laughs> um, but because the next one is actually, uh, licorice pizza, uh, written and directed by what Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, right now it's only in theaters. This was straight up nostalgia through rose colored glasses, <laughs> kind of a, uh, kind of a flip of the coin from number eight. This is a straight up coming of age story between, uh, two characters, Alana and Gary, um, it's a quote first love story told over one summer. Uh, there's a lot of controversy over over these two characters because Alana's character is 25 and Gary is 15. It's it's if you actually watch it and like wa- let things wash over you, it becomes a lot more nuanced. It's not just this creepy relationship mm-hmm. that they have with each other. Like Alana's character is. Two is acting a lot younger for her age, and Jerry's character is acting a lot older for his age. So it it fe- weirdly feels natural, and it doesn't feel like this is. Um, it, it feels like Jerry is one of those characters that nowadays will look back on the seventies and say, "Oh, weren't things great back then?" And that a lot of this kind of behavior was tolerated back then, but at the same time it's a coming of age story like these are young adults who are doing stupid things mm-hmm. and i mean the whole the, there really isn't much of a plot to this movie it's more about the the um the relationship these two have is like friends and and business associates because gary is always trying to find the next move he tries selling water beds at one point uh he tries starting a um a pinball company at one point, like things just keep popping up that uh, he has ideas uh, while Alana is trying to kind of figure herself out and understand where she is as a 25 year old. So she doesn't feel like she has a place in this world. So I, I can't recommend this movie enough. Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't make anything bad. I'm. F- it took me, it took me a long time to get around to him. And I finally came to him last year and, And I'm glad I had the chance to see this. Also has a very killer soundtrack. Uh, David Bowie's Life on Mars (laughs) really hits home in it. Uh, Nina Simone, Todd Rundgren. Uh, There are a lot of great cameos in this this too. I don't want to spoil any of them. Uh, But just overall, this really made me want to be a teenager in 1970s San Fernando Valley. Um, It actually made me feel good coming out of it and had a a really warm feeling. Uh, Number six. Uh, the Power of the Dog, this is on Netflix, written by Jane Campion, based on a novel by Thomas Savage, directed by Jane Campion. Uh, this very well, at some point, could jump to my number one spot, the more I think about it. Uh, this is this is a very tangible, ever-moving list. Uh, I can't say much about it without giving away major plot points. Um, this stars Bennett Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Cody Smith-McPhee, and Jesse Plemons. Mm-hmm. Good cast. And yeah, right. And the IMDB description for this is that charismatic rancher Phil Burbank inspires fear and on those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. It is a very deep exploration of toxic masculinity and the damage it can cause around around them. I mean, it takes place in the in Montana in nineteen twenty five when certain things weren't tolerated and certain things weren't, re- and expectations were placed on on people. Um, it, it explores the ideas of progressivism and nostalgia. Uh, personally, I really wish Cumberbatch would win best actor uh, for this role, but for Phil, but it, it's going to, it's pretty much a lot that Will Smith's going to get for King Richard. It, Phil is probably one of the most complicated characters I've seen on screen. And, I, I I just wish I could say more without spoiling it. Um, it should be nominated, or it should win just about everything it's nominated for. Dunst and Plemons have great chemistry. I didn't realize until like this award season that they were a real couple.
1: Oh really? I didn't know that either.
0: Yeah, huh. yeah. Let's see here. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee I, is, should win best supporting actor, but it's pro- it's probably going to go to um, it's probably going to go to someone else. Um, And like I said, on paper, this should be my number one just because the more I think about it, the more it really sits with me. And I I absolutely adore this. There's a twist in it that I didn't see coming, but once it happens, it recontextualizes the entire movie and the entire story. And once the act drops, like it drops. And I I had to sit there for 10 or 15 minutes afterward trying to process everything that had just happened. Uh all right. Well, speaking of possible number ones, I'm gonna number five is our number one from the infinities. Uh Sean Chen, The Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, Disney Plus, writ- written by David Callahan, Destin Daniel Critton, and Andrew Lanham, directed by Destin Daniel Critton. Uh I, like this had to go in my top ten, and even my top five being that it knocked out the winter soldier in yeah. my in my rankings um and pushed into my top three like i you and i have talked this movie to death and i still just can't stop talking about it or stop thinking about it even like there's a lot that is great about this
1: yeah i i really love this movie i mean we gave a lot of our thoughts in a review episode but it's so good i mean it's instantly rewatchable at just about any given time right
0: yeah so speaking of rewatchability, this next one isn't as rewatchable, but I, I think there's a lot worth going back and revisiting. So number four was where I had in Kanto until I saw Flea, which is on Hulu. And so this is written by Jonas Poher, Ra, Ra, Rasmussen, Muson, And I mean, Nawabi again, pronunciations I apologize and directed by Jonas Jonas Um, so growing up my mom had always said that she believes anybody and everybody should see Schindler's List at, at one point in their life that is how I feel about Flea this this feels like something that everybody should see at least once in their life it's only like an hour and a half to two hours but it's an animated documentary about an individual I mean Escaping Afghanistan in the late '80s and early '90s, and it 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 depicts the the struggles of having to leave your home in your home country, and the all of the struggles that individuals have to go through, specifically refugees. I mean, we're recording this in the middle of the whole mess in the Ukraine, mm-hmm. and I right before I had we had recorded, I had seen that that. At this point, I believe it's the UN is estimating that over a million have fled the Ukraine. So this really was timely and relevant that I had that I saw this. Um, It's animated to hide Amin's identity. I I think he believes that, if I remember correctly, that members of the Taliban are, are still trying to find him. Wow, which is just absolutely awful i i don't have words to describe it um it's about identity and finding your place in the world uh there's a music cue in it that i absolutely love for it was a daft punk one i knew what was going on once it happened but i i i really wanted to put in kanto here but the more i thought about flea the more i wanted to put this in there and i i can't I can't not think about this more, especially given the time period we live in. Yeah. So, can't recommend it enough. I, I still think everybody should see this. Number three, going from super serious to super light and fun, not even light, but super fun and exciting, is uh, The Suicide Squad. It's on HBO Max, written and directed by James Gunn. Uh, you and I did an entire episode dedicated to this. I, personally, I think this is Gunn's masterpiece. It shows what, what creators can do when they're basically given a blank check and they can tell whatever story they want. Um, I had the chance to see this in theaters when it first came out and like actually cried tears of joy with how excited I was that it, what was happening was happening, that it existed. and I literally kept having the thoughts of, oh, my God, he's actually pulling this off. Like, I never thought something like this would happen. Um, probably it's arguably the most punk movie of 2021. I talked about in our review how the story itself ends up not about being about being not trusting those in power and questioning what their motives and interests are. Um, and Gunn has had this whole incident with Disney and Marvel uh, being fired because of, of those of those who thought that he well i mean he did have some bad tweets i'm not going to deny that but um that those in power were able to get rid of him because of things that he'd said in the past and apologized for over and over um i went back and watched this again before seeing no way home into a second time and i liked it just as much as i did the first time i thought it was going to be something i went back to and was like oh my god this is terrible uh-huh but I absolutely loved this um the cinematography is gorgeous in it weirdly mm-hmm. enough um, some of some of the images look like they're taken straight straight out of a comic book yeah um, the lights and the scenes made or the, the scenes are lit uh, to thank Henry Braham for the cinematography um the lights are I'm sorry the scenes are lit in a way that made the colors pop each character has a distinct color palette everybody looks different and stands out um this had a lot going against it being a reboot and sequel from a movie that a lot of people don't like going back to it and it was easily one of the most visceral complicated funniest movies of the year as well as having one of the best soundtracks of the year yeah
1: i i really love the suicide squad um I actually just started watching Peacemaker today. I got through the first episode. Yeah. Um, so good. It was nice to get a little recap of the Suicide Squad at the, at the start of that to get me back into the, the uh, gun verse.
0: <laughs> What's crazy is uh, – I'm sidetrack here for a second. I, I've I finished Peacemaker because I was watching it week to week. Mm-hmm. That show – at a point just stops feeling like it's in the DC universe. Yeah. It just feels like it's its own thing altogether. Uh-huh. And then they just drop a Batman reference. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's nothing. <laughs> so the suicide squad probably isn't everybody's cup of tea, but I can't recommend it enough to people mm-hmm. who like comic book movies. And or, I would argue it's probably the best comic book movie of 2021, yeah. but that's just me. Um, number two is pig written by Vanessa Block and Michael Sarnasti and directed by Michael Sarnasti. Did you have a chance to see this? No, I didn't. I'm not going to say much about it then. Um it's probably my favorite performance of the year. It's Nicholas Cage and just to read the read the synopsis, a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregon wilderness must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. I don't want to say much more about the plot other than that. Uh, if you go into this not knowing much, it's better off that way. Um, I will say it plays on the revenge story tropes that you're used to. John Wick. It's very John Wick esque. I had another friend text me today and said, "Oh my God, page is awesome," and he uh, he started to say about some of the things that happen in it that he loved about it, and it it really it leads you off onto this very much uh it leads you off in one direction and then completely subverts expectations and puts you in a different place. and I I really want to go back and rewatch this. Another note on this uh, Alex Wolf is in it. Alex and Nat wolf always annoy me when I see them pop up. They're the naked brothers band. <laughs> uh, but Alex Wolf is absolutely phenomenal here. It's only an hour and a half. it's it's a great time. Turn your phone off or put it on silent. Turn the lights off. Just immerse yourself in this movie for an hour and a half. I'm hopefully in the next few days, I'm going to have the chance to go go back and rewatch it. Just I really want to revisit this this movie. The fun fact, though, I have a friend that moved to Portland in 2021, and he had he had the chance to see it uh, before I did. And he said that they really captured how how that area is and how how it feels And if you really want to play six degrees of separation uh, from this podcast, you and I have are like three or four degrees away from Nick Cage. now, (laughs) (laughs) Because so there's us whose friends who I'm friends with somebody that goes to an acting conservatory in Portland. And the artistic director of that acting conservatory plays a waitress who has a small recurring role in the movie who like has a one-on-one with Nick cage. Nice. 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 So we're not that far from Nick cage guys. Not far in the cage with cage, right? We're getting closer by the day. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to say too much about this. Just go into it knowing it's a revenge story and just let it take you. This is one of the arguments for why Nick cage is one of the best actors of his generation. I will not deny that. It, as much of a joke as people make him out to be, I will not deny that he is one of the best.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll, right. I'll have to check this one out.
0: Yeah. And lastly, my number one. So let's just recap the top 10. Uh, number 10, Tit, Tit, Boom. Number nine, West Side Story. Number eight, Last Night in Soho. Number seven, Licorice Peach. Number seven, The Power of the Dog. Number five, Sean Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Number four, Flea. Number three, The Suicide Squad. Number two, Pig. And number one, Bo Burnham's Inside on Netflix, written and directed by Bo Burnham himself. This was probably my most watched piece of media in 2021. The week it came out, I watched it probably six to seven times within that week, back to back, night after night, fell asleep with it on, woke up with it on. Like I couldn't get enough of this. And I personally, I did, I strongly considered not putting it on this list, but after rewatching it a couple of weeks ago, I, I said, this is definitely number one. I, I can't not put it on the list in some, in some capacity. It's
1: a masterpiece. Um,
0: easily, easily. And like this, this really felt like a document of what it felt like to live in isolation at the start of the pandemic. Um, And I think it really should be used as a, as a document in the future. It, yeah, it's silly at times, but is the existential crisis is real. Very, (laughs) very, very real, but very real. Like what's also so fascinating about this is when I went back to watch it, I tried to watch it with the mindset of how did he put this together? And, there's, it's just absolutely insane. There are insert shots of him setting up shots to make it look like he's actually in this room. Filming the entire thing. The editing is an absolute masterwork. I highly recommend that if you're a film student who's listening to this to go watch this and try and figure out how it was put together. Yeah,
1: yeah it's it it breaks your brain kind of thinking. The way that he like seemingly shot things at the start of it and then kind of followed up on them a month or a year into the pandemic is right. is crazy. Like after things really snowballed and got worse. Um, right. But yeah, it, pa- it it definitely paints a picture for you.
0: Right. Um, and when you know that this was shot in the guest house in his backyard, it kind of, not to say it takes you out of it, but it, it makes you realize that this was all a special that he's been planning in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. He wasn't actually living. I, I highly doubt he was actually living in the no, guest house for a year. No, no. <laughs> him and his partner were, were in the house and he was writing and planning everything, and then going out and filming every day. Um, but that initial time you watch it, it's like, Oh my God, this man is, is alone in the ro- in a room by himself for a year. Right. It really, like I had to walk away. Yeah. I had to walk away from it for a few months and come back to it, to come to that realization. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> no, it, it just does a good job of, portraying like the desperation and um you know mental state of him during this time even if it's not actually representative of what his physical state is
0: right and it i mean it's been very well documented that Bo has had experiences of dealing with anxiety and mental illness and he outright talks about it in the special saying how he wasn't he stopped touring because he was having panic attacks on stage and he was going to start touring again when COVID started so now what? Why would I go back out there? And he it feels he feels extremely genuine. It's not and that he's trying to cope with what's going on. It's not just and it feels like him trying to cope with the fact that the world is on fire. Right? It's not. It doesn't just come off as a regular comedy special. There's a lot of depth and a lot of humanity. This, and I think what's going to make this make this age extremely well is that. Burnham was really smart in the fact that he never said the words covid or pandemic at all ever. Yeah. It's hinted mm-hmm. at of we should not have human contact, but it is never outright said either of those. So this entire special now becomes about human connection and the internet. I mean, we're as we speak, we're recording this over a, a in, in, an internet Recording studio. Yeah, <laughs> you and I can't be in the same place because of COVID, also because of distance and how far apart we live. But like, it's the same idea of we're like we're trying to connect in one way or another. And this podcast is going out to millions of people. We'll never meet, right? Yeah. So they're hearing our voices and hearing our thoughts and opinions. And they can interact with us on social media and via email, <laughs> but still, like. <laughs> Human connection has changed so much from being in person to online, and it was like it was being phased into that over the past decade. And COVID just kind of pushed it over the the edge, and now human connection is pretty not a hundred percent online, but a lot of it is nowadays. And it it definitely gave Bo a lot of it gave Bo the the chance to to talk about how he sees the world. And the internet through the and and the internet as someone who grew up as a star of the as an internet star yeah
1: exactly right. I mean you was a YouTuber
0: <laughs> right so I I can't say I can't praise it highly enough it it's an absolute masterpiece I just yeah I I have nothing but good things to say about it same here so yeah my number one of 2021 is Bo Burnham's Inside so that's my top 10 of the year if you have a top 10 out there be sure to hit us up on social media or uh via email let us know your thoughts your opinions um, if you disagree with anything i have on here or any of my logic then feel free to let us know uh lastly just in no particular order i wanted to throw out my top 10 most anticipated of 2022 um we're recording this march 2nd so the batman hasn't come out yet but that's no that's the first one, um, Dr. Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder, uh, The Northman, which is Robert Eggers, Ed- Viking epic. Uh, same guy who directed The Lighthouse and the Witch. Um, we have The Unbearable Weight of Mass Talent. That's Nick Cage's new movie coming out where he plays himself. Also has uh, Pedro Pascal. So I'll, uh, I'm will i on board. Yep. Um Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's Michelle Yeoh and the multiverse, basically. Just the trailer alone looks absolutely insane, and I'm on board. I, I don't know what else to say about it. Um, Across the Spider Verse Part One is set to come out this year. Uh, I, I didn't think I would, I would be excited for this, but when I saw the trailer for Ambulance, something in me got excited. It's Michael Bay's new movie starring Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal and Yaha Abdul Mateen II. <laughs> If part of you just got excited to see Michael Bay back. As much as hated as he is, yeah. I just I got weird about it. Uh also have Nope in here. It's Jordan Peele's new movie coming out this summer, and then Knives Out 2 is set to come out this year on Netflix.
1: No uh Wakanda Forever, I'm surprised.
0: Well, I was just listening to oh, him. Gotcha. <laughs> I mean that 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 would I mean there's a lot of great stuff coming out nope. this year. Nope well. looks what wild. I'm really curious does, to see it? what's
1: going on there.
0: Yeah, yeah. There was a new poster that was just released today of like a horse getting dragged up into the cloud. So I'm, I'm genuinely curious what's going to happen with this one. Peel always interests me. Us wasn't one of my favorites, but I, I can appreciate talent when it's being recognized and it's actually like being used. So that's going to do it for this special edition of Infinity Watchers. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, you can hit us up on social media. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns about anything we've talked about, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and we'd like to give a special shout out and thank you to the editor for this episode, Evan Yester. I uh, would really appreciate the work that you put in for this. Uh, and as always, I am Jared, joined by John, and we will see you guys next time.